Empire. Esports in Asia, they've exploded. All that we're doing is kind of taking it to the digital realm, right? So the laws of land in India and for that matter in Indonesia and for that matter in many countries across the world very clearly say that as long as it is a game of, uh, it's a game of skill, you can in fact enter a tournament by paying a small entry. That's Sai Sorinavas, CEO of the Mobile Premier League where 80 million users is only the beginning of the gaming revolution. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. You'd think the number 80 million would be an impressive one, but it really is only the starting point to build on the popularity of the Mobile Gaming League. Today, we discuss what games are important in the Eastern world as opposed to the Western world, how global inclusion will be paramount to the ultimate plans of the company, and navigating the world in pay-for-play gaming. Our guest this week is Sai Srinivas, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Mobile Premier League, which is the biggest esports and mobile gaming platform in Asia with over 80 plus million users, 60 plus million in the country of India alone. And Sai is joining us from India today. Hi, Sai. How are you? Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Brian. I'm good. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. Um, obviously, esports is thriving in that part of the world. It's been booming clearly here um, in the Western world as well. Why don't we just start kind of just at ground level? Um, what have you seen that has been the reason for such growth in esports in India and Asia? I think uh, one of the biggest reasons uh, for the growth in esports in India and Asia primarily is is the penetration of mobile internet uh, and the fact that mobile phones have now gotten so good that you can play you know multiple different kinds of games on it and really good quality games on it right so if you have about 500 million or 600 million people uh, connected to the internet via their mobile phones i mean it's, it's you can't ask for a better uh, you know better captive audience uh, than to you know to, than this to compete and play uh, in esports tournaments that's what's happened in India. So in India, over the last four years, not only have you seen an explosion of users coming onto the internet, but also the payment infrastructure in India, where people can now pay small amounts of microtransactions. Uh, that also has come up really, really well. And that's the same in Indonesia as well, which is the reason why you see MPL kind of breaking through in India as well as in Indonesia. There's a, there's a tenet of what you guys work with that you describe as casual real money gaming. Can you describe what you mean by that? Right. So, so uh, the whole point of what we're trying to do with MPL uh, RAM in the longer term is that we believe that you know in the next year or two or three there is going to be a platform or a destination where you would see massive online digital tournaments. Right. Take a simple game like chess. I don't. I mean, I kind of don't see a reason why you're not going to have a platform where a million players, maybe a few players from America, a few from Brazil, a few from Germany, a few from India, they're all competing in that tournament together, uh, in that tournament of chess, for example, together, and to eventually crown the champion. Our philosophy is that if people are competing in these games together, then you know all of them can enter the tournament by paying a small entry fee, just usually a dollar or sub dollar. 
and they all can compete together in that tournament. So the person who's going to win that tournament is eventually going to take in a big prize money, right? And then the rest of the folks will also, you know, get their own prizes based on where they stand in the leaderboard. This entire philosophy of participative esports, where you know players at every end of the spectrum can come, pay a small amount of money, participate in a tournament. And then, depending on where they stand on the leaderboard, get a prize money is what we refer to as casual real money gaming. Can you describe then, because I'm not familiar with the laws in that part of the world, clearly here, that's problematic um, to try to make that happen in America because of our laws, which may be changing with all the advent of sports gambling and all the things that are changing. Um, What are the laws like in Asia? Does that allow for this to happen? Sure, sure. So, Bram, uh, the simple the simple thought process here is that as long as it is a game of skill, it's a game of, uh, where you know clear skill is involved. For example, in the game of chess, I mean, I think nobody is going to debate whether it's a game of skill or not. Right. Or for that matter, game of pool, or for that matter, a game of you know soccer, right? So, so in as long as it is a game of skill, then people can in fact enter a tournament by participating in by by participating and paying a small entry fee. And you know, to be honest, this has been the case for a long, long time now, right? Even, even, uh, if, even if you were to look at how chess tournaments back in the day were held in the physical world, there always used to be a small entry fee that people had to pay to get into the chess tournament. All that we're doing is kind of taking it to the digital realm, right? So the laws of land in India and for that matter in Indonesia and, and for that matter in many countries across the world very clearly say that as long as it is a game of, uh, it's a game of skill, you can, in fact, enter a tournament by paying a small entry. Um, all right. So tell me a little bit about um, what fans and users are interested in over there on your platform. What What are you seeing the types of games that are popular in Asia? Right. So I think uh, there are there are always a bunch of cultural nuances. Uh, for example, in India, uh, cricket is a really big sport, right? So usually video games that kind of mimic cricket are very, very popular. Mm. Outside of that, you have many other local games which are very popular, like caroms. Caroms is, is, is like pool or billiards, just that the disc is more, it's got a flatter disc on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very popular game. Outside of that, you have a whole bunch of casual games which are very popular. Uh, you know, your standard, your, your standard games like chess, your standard games like, uh, can, you know, the, usually the max three games. Then you have your puzzle games which are very popular. Then bridge is very popular. Right. So outside of these games, you have the other larger AAA titles like, you know, your first person shooters, et cetera, that are kind of popular in, in this part of the world. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, here the esports gaming can apply to a lot of different things. Um, and as, as I assume that it applies to you all in a lot of different ways. But when we think of esports over here, we're talking about games like Fortnite. We're talking about NBA 2K. We're talking about very specific things, Call of Duty, League of Legends, those type of of games as well. Are you seeing that level of crossover on your type of platform? Is there interest? I guess what I'm asking is, are you seeing mutual interest in the Eastern world as what we're seeing here in the Western world? Right. I think one of the most important nuances uh, that, uh, uh, that, that is to be noted is that in the Western world, most of what you see on most of what is considered popular esport is mainly PC titles or console titles. It's either Xbox or PlayStation and so on and so forth. Whereas in 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 the developing in the developing world, it's actually more to do with mobile, right? 
So most of the competitive esports and most of the competitive gaming happens on mobile because almost everybody's got an access to a mobile phone, whereas very, very few people actually have access to a PlayStation or an Xbox, right? So I believe that eventually on the, on, on the mobile phone also, you will see larger titles like these having large-scale tournaments. But as of today in India, there are way few titles of that, uh, you know, which are AAA level titles on mobile, which have really large esport, uh, uh, or should I say, an esport leagues on them. But I think that that is eventually going to be the case in the next. Obviously, there's an advent of uh, there's live events. Well, you know, post pandemic, obviously, there's live events that are occurring here. These have also become part of pop culture. There's a tremendous amount of advertising dollars that are flowing in and not just in the games themselves. Are you seeing similar trends in India and Asia where advertising money and sponsorship money is flowing into these spaces the way it is happening here? No, I think uh, I think in India and Asia, I think it's probably still a couple of years away uh, because I think in in India and in fact in Asia, at least in in Southeast Asia, I think the esports as a sport is still in the audience building phase. I think once a significant amount of built is when usually advertising dollars flow in, and which is precisely the reason why we at MPL are trying to build the underlying infrastructure for it. Say, if you are a game developer or if you are a publisher and you want to say host an esport tournament or or an esport tournament where players from five or seven different countries can compete, right? On MPL, you know, you could just do it on a, fla- on, on, on a snap of a finger. Whereas if you were to go do it yourself, then you've got to, you know, kind of lay out the entire infrastructure for it, plan it, and it takes a good three to six months to pull something off. Whereas on MPL, it's probably going to take you a couple of minutes to kind of set that tournament up and, you know, kind of have a, a, a kind of like a World Cup between five or six different countries eventually. So that's what we're trying to do with, 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 with MPL because... We believe that there's going to be a significant amount of media dollars and ad dollars that's eventually going to flow into the space in the course of the next two, three years as yeah. better and better titles keep coming coming into mobile. And the beauty of mobile, unlike a PC or a console, is you know you could probably be sitting on, at a Starbucks and you know you could just yeah. pick up your mobile phone and you'd probably be competing in a tournament, right? And 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 what we're trying to do with MPL is kind of build the underlying infrastructure for it, right? So if you want to host a tournament for not thousand people, but let's assume you want to host a tournament for five hundred thousand people, or a million people, or two million people, right? That's when MPL comes in, right? If you want to host a tournament for ten people, twenty people, or fifty people, that's fine. Do what you're doing, right? You don't host host the tournament using what you're using. But the moment you want to go and host really large scale tournaments, that's when MPL's infrastructure comes in. It's interesting to hear you say that we're still in an audience building phase. And at the same time, you have 80 plus million users. So what's the number that goes beyond, in your mind, that goes beyond nascent building stage? Right. So there are two parts to this. And it's very interesting that you, you know, it's very good that you brought that point up, right? Uh, there, are, there are players and then there are viewers, right? The 80 million folks that we currently have, most of these folks are actually players. They're all competing, right? So one of the constructs of how esports has been viewed globally is kind of similar to physical sport, where you have 10 or 20 people playing uh, uh, playing in a stadium or playing a specific tournament, and that tournament is kind of broadcasted, and then you have you know maybe 50,000 people or 100,000 people watching that tournament, mm-hmm. right? Exactly like how physical sport is. Maybe an NBA game is going on, and like you know, uh, uh, and and you've got a million or two million people watching. But what we believe is that eventually 
that limitation that is there on physical sport need not exist in e-sport or digital sport. We believe that in digital sport, you can have 200,000 people playing or 500,000 people playing and probably two, three million people watching. Because if Bram is playing maybe, you know, uh, uh, a game of chess in a tournament with Sai, I'm sure there are a bunch of followers that Bram has who would love to see how is Bram doing in that game, right? Mm-hmm. So we believe that eventually competitive digital sport is going to be very, very, you know, if I may use the word decentralized, where people would be playing across the world and you would have people viewing that content. So when, when we say audience, we currently are at a phase where we are building up the player base, where players can actually compete in this tournament. And now when these players, while they're competing in these tournaments, can actually put that content out, you will start building a viewership. Once the viewership audience is built, is when the when the advertising dollars would, I believe, flow in. You know, the, the interesting part of that here is, and I'm sure this is happening there too, is those type of experiences, obviously, and you know, clearly exist, like on Twitch or on YouTube, mainly where you can watch competitive esports or casual esports for that matter, with just people who are influencers who are who are playing. Um, at some point, though, that needs to streamline, I think is what you're saying, into spaces where viewers know where this is going to take place, as opposed to the 8 million streams that are happening right now. Exactly, right? Like, for example, if you look at YouTube, Twitch, or, or any 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 game streaming platform, right? Uh, we're not saying we're going to compete with them, or we're not saying that we're going to host these streams on our platform, right? We Our entire focus is to host large-scale tournaments. And we are very happy to, in fact, broadcast the streams from the tournaments that are happening on a platform onto YouTube, onto Twitch, and in fact, eventually, maybe even television, right? So the problem, what happens in Twitch or what's happening in YouTube is most of these tournaments are either one-off tournaments or these are small-scale tournaments which, which is being organized by the community itself. Now, the moment you want to host a tournament where there are a million players or two million players, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to do it to do it via Twitch or via YouTube or via any other, uh, you know, infrastructure that currently exists. That is where we come in. We enable you to do that, and you can do it. At, you can do it at, on the fly whenever you want. Mm. And the streams from those tournaments. So let's assume you and me are participating in one such tournament where there are a million people playing. The stream of you and me playing the game can very easily be broadcasted to your YouTube channel or my YouTube channel as well, right? So that is something. That is the. That is. That is the exact space that we are focusing on. You know, the other part of it, too, and I'm, I'm glad I'm talking to you about this because you have 80 million users. You're talking about, you know, streamlining audiences of pretty large sizes at some point, which I, I, I think obviously, as you know, is quite realistic to occur in the next whatever, three, five, 10 years, whatever it may take to build this. What point do we get to rights? Um, because I sit there and I flip on YouTube or I flip on Twitch and Fortnite or most of any of these types of gaming platforms, they allow anybody to just show their product and stream it. At some point, I would think that rights have to take over. As a traditional sports broadcaster, I can't show video from the NFL or the NBA without their explicit rights and having paid for that, even if I'm a good influencer for them. But right now, esports allows anybody to show their product for free. So do you think at yeah. some point that that's going to change? That's, that's actually a very, very good question, right? There's a small nuance to what you just said, right? There is a game and there is a sport, right? For example, if, say, a really big basketball star is playing basketball in his backyard 
and streaming that and streaming that right then there's no question of rights involved because the basketball star is just you know playing basketball in his backyard and streaming that for example if roger federer is probably knocking the ball around in his backyard and is streaming that he doesn't need to take the rights from wimbledon or so on and so forth so what's happening today is when you have casual streamers streaming the game they're just streaming a game but when you that is one part of the thing but when you start hosting tournaments on it and when you say that this is a tournament that i am hosting a top of this game then in that case the tournament automatically has the rights for the stream right it's the same in esport as well so for example if i were to take a game like say fortnite right and i were to host a tournament on it then the tournament can exclusively decide where those streams go to whether it will go to twitch whether it will go to youtube whether it will go to espn whether it will go to, you know maybe some other channel right now that is precisely the value that we're trying to unlock because we believe the the most valuable content in the world is going to come from the largest competitions in the world the reason why you watch a fifa world cup or the reason why we watch uh, you know uh, uh, the olympics or for that matter the reason why we watch the wimbledon is because it's the largest tournament for that game and we believe the same is going to happen in digital in digital games as well yeah so i, I hope that answers yeah, let me get to one initiative that you have since the Olympics are, are beginning in Japan. You've launched what you're calling a fan army campaign in support of Olympic athletes in the country of India. Do you want to tell some people about that? Yeah, so uh, so our uh, our entire goal is to, uh, is to kind of like mobilize our users, our customers, and, you know, the entire community to kind of support the various different sports in Olympics, uh, especially the Olympic contingent of India. This year is actually quite unique in the sense that India is actually sending the largest uh, Olympic contingent ever. It's never happened. This many people from India going into Olympics. So for us, it's honestly, a, it's a matter of an honor that we could partner with the Olympic contingent and we are the principal sponsors for the Olympic contingent. And we want people to engage in various different kinds of sport and participate in promoting those sports. Because we believe that eventually, hopefully the next three or four years, Esports is actually going to become a category in Olympics as well, yeah. right? So we want to ideally promote and engage the audiences to kind of start appreciating a whole bunch of different sports. And as you know, in India, cricket is already a very big sport. It's probably the biggest, right? So we want to kind of let audiences engage with these other sports, and that's what we're trying to do. So what we've done is that we've gotten all our partners to kind of come along with us, and we've got together a group of about 31 to 32 odd million people to kind of cheer on and support the Indian Olympic contingent over the course of the next three weeks. Sai, this was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for taking the time halfway across the globe. It's fascinating what's happening over there in the esports universe. Sai Srinivas is the CEO and co-founder of the Mobile Premier League. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. On the next Future Sport Podcast. Flag football has someone who is thinking way beyond the land of intramural sports. And all of a sudden, what we realize is when you watch great athletes play flag football without the helmets, without the pads, you get basically the best of both worlds. You mm. get the characters, the athleticism, all of that engagement of these incredible athletes that you get in the NBA. But they're still playing football, and they're still making plays, and you still have the drama of the best structured game in the world, which is football. That's Jeff Lewis, CEO of the American Flag Football League. He's offering a way to buy into a sport with deep roots and what he believes is a massive upside. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. 
I'm Bram Weinstein.